Good evening and welcome to another episode of Hidden for the Cycle. We got a special Wednesday night episode for you. I'm your host, Hank and Dichter. And well, you know, first of all, to start the show, we've got a big 180 that we kind of have to talk about regarding some news that I announced yesterday. However, before we do that, as always, I got to give you your friendly neighborhood reminder to please give us a follow on all of our forums of social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and of course, Please do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel at Review and Preview Sports. And to start the show off, we got a comment from John Rankin. JR, how's it going? Good to see you. Folks, if you want to interact with us and uh, talk some baseball in the comment section, please do not hesitate to do so. I would love to do that. We have a special guest coming on later on. That would be Brady Reuter. He is a returning guest, hardcore Baltimore Orioles fan. And before we get into all that, let's talk about the Max Scherzer trade. Now, As you might remember at the end of last week's episode, Brody and I talked about Max Scherzer going to the San Diego Padres as that's where it looked like. However, right as the show ended, that hole took a big 180 because at the last minute, the Dodgers somehow found a way to get a deal done and get not only Max Scherzer, but infielder and outfielder Trey Turner from the Washington Nationals in exchange for prospects Kyber Ruiz, pitcher Josiah Gray, and then two other players, Gerardo Carrillo and Donovan Casey. And first of all, let's talk about the prospects that LA gave up in this trade. Caber Ruiz, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. He became one of the top catchers in the minor leagues, actually one of their top casting prospects for the Dodgers. He had a slash line of 311, 381, and 631 for the AAA team in Oklahoma City. And Josiah Gray actually has been pretty solid too. He has a 2.41 career ERA in the minors so far. And he spent a little bit of time with the Dodgers this season. But obviously, the Dodgers, as we as we pretty much learned with the Yankees, made the made decision that you know having too much prospects can create a logjam, and sometimes you need one or two pieces to try to get help and become a bigger contender to win it all. And what the Dodgers did was they ended up getting more depth and more talent to hopefully compete or try to win back to back World Series. And let's talk about the guys that the Dodgers got. First off, they got Max Scherzer, who I don't really need to explain much about him. He is pretty much winning the father time battle. He's 38 years old. He's got an ERA of 2.83 with 142 strikeouts in 105 innings pitched. And not to mention Trey Turner. He is very versatile. He's got he's a solid 300 hitter who can hit for power and speed in addition to 
maybe playing a little bit of outfield if needed, which is really critical because as some of you probably know, Corey Seager is going to be a free agent after the season. And, you know, whether that if the Dodgers can't re-sign him, then they have options and they can probably keep keep Turner in there for a few more years. He doesn't his contract doesn't expire until 2028. But of course, Max Scherzer, as we all know, his resume seeks for itself. He's been a league leader four times with wins and three times with strikeouts, or it might be reversed, but he also has three Cy Young awards, insane pitcher. And it helps the Dodgers because you look at what's happened to their starting rotation. It has dealt with injuries and you also had the shenanigans of Trevor Bauer. And now it pretty much fixes the Dodgers pitching greatly. And I think, as I mentioned, Trey Turner is a guy who's very versatile. He's a guy, he's the type of hitter that I wish the Yankees would have gotten because he, he can, he's fast and he can hit the ball to all fields. Definitely someone you want in big moments. And I think without a doubt, the Dodgers are the team to beat in the National League West. I don't care that San Francisco is up three and a half games. The Dodgers talent just speaks for itself. And before I get into the New York Mets, let's give into, let's talk, have some uh, other comments. My mom says, happy Wednesday. John says, at the hospital, watching you, bro, figuring out what's wrong with foot. Well, John, I really hope your foot's all right. Giving, sending you my best wishes, and I hope all is well with you, my friend. And he also says the Dodgers signed Cole Hamilstay for the rest of the season. Unreal. The rich just continue to get richer. I don't know how they do it, but I think a lot of teams are envious with what the Dodgers do, and reminds me a lot about what the Yankees did back in the day when George was alive and healthy, and appreciate the love, my friend. Good check out John Rankin. Great guy. Love, love seeing him, love interacting with him in the comments section. And now let's obviously talk about the Mets for a bit. The Mets this past week, again, kind of up and down. They lost two of three to the Cincinnati Reds this past weekend. But one of the big news that they made during that weekend was they brought back the black uniforms that were used from 1998 to 2011. Personally, as a Yankee fan, I don't think that black should really be part of their everyday attire, but the fact that the Mets brought that back, it that was pretty cool nostalgia because I remember seeing them use that in his alternate, and I think it's pretty cool to see that happen. I know a lot of fans love it, but let's get to the game itself. Carlos Carrasco in his first start back with the Mets was pretty solid in four innings. He only gave up three hits in his first game. Unfortunately for him, one of them was a leadoff home run hit by Cincinnati Reds' Jonathan India. He actually hit two that day. And the big news of that game Joey Votto hit a home run in his seventh consecutive game. Matter of fact, the day afterwards, he came within inches of tying a streak that has been set three times. Dale Long hit eight, had an eight-game home run streak in 1956. Donnie Baseball for the Yankees did so in 1987, and Ken Griffey Jr. became the third player to do that in 1993. So that would have been pretty cool, but... The Mets wound up winning the second game. That was the day that Javier Baez hit a home run in his first game with the New York Mets. And let's talk about Javi Baez. I think that's a key addition for the Mets, as I talked about with Brody on my last episode. To have him be the shortstop while Lindor recovers from an oblique injury and gives them some options for the infield when he when Lindor eventually returns. And you know that he and Lindor have always been good friends. So that's that's going to be pretty cool. And of course, the more important part is it adds a key bat to the lineup. Now, will it stop the bleeding? Time will tell because the Mets' lead for first place has dropped down to one and a half games. So, and including this week, they had a really close. They had a game against Miami. They were down three nothing. 
they chipped away at the end, but unfortunately for them, they could not come back and win the game. And so the Mets are pretty much have the Phillies and the Braves nipping at their heels. It's really a tough situation for them. And Marcus Stroman actually pitched five two and two thirds innings in the third game against Cincinnati fell apart in the six. And, you know, interesting fact is the Cincinnati Reds actually won their first series against the New York Mets at city field since 2013. And they've actually won seven of their last 10 games. So they're making a little bit of a push for the NL central. Max Schrock went five for five in the third game, three RBIs and a home run. But, you know, the Mets af- after this have an important, important stretch. They obviously started the series in Miami, not great with their two losses, getting, giving up that grand slam in game one to Lewis Brinson. And then, as I mentioned yesterday, you had the failed comeback attempt. You got 10 straight games for them against the NL East rivals. After the Miami Marlins series, I believe they play the Phillies and then the Nationals afterwards. So it'll be interesting to see how they bounce back. And um, obviously, JR, this is where you can find him on Twitch, the real tight spot. I will definitely give your, give your stuff a check out without a doubt. Love to come on one day. And um, now, of course, got to talk about the Yankees, my team. So as we know, the Yankees got Anthony Rizzo and Joey Gallo, which, as I said, I think it bolsters their lineup because you finally have a left-handed outfielder in a left-handed bat in that lineup. And you had another one in Anthony Rizzo, which is something the Yankees really need because they are way too reliant on their right-handed hitters. And I think Baez, in a, or not Baez, I'm sorry, Anthony Rizzo, in addition to the extra left-handed power bat to put into the lineup, also provides leadership. And as I kind of said, it's something the Yankees really need. I think you need more guys that can really take charge in the clubhouse and you have another guy who can be a solid left-handed bat to give you balance. With that being said, my only issue with the trade, as I mentioned last time, as great as as better as the lineup is, the problem is these guys have pretty much similar approaches. Well, Gallo in particular, his batting average is pretty low at 213. And he's another guy who strikes out a lot. He can hit for power and he's very versatile in the field, but I think the strikeouts are a big issue. But Anthony Rizzo, though, fun fact, he's actually the first Yankee to reach base eight t- at least eight times in his first two games. He's also the seventh player to hit a home run in his first two games as a Yankee. The first one ended up giving them the lead. The second one, he had a bo- an absolute bomb into left field. Couldn't tell whether it was going fair or foul, but then once it was just on the left of the fair pole, you could tell it was a home run. Great sweep in Miami for them. Three to one in the third game. That was a nice comeback too. They were down one, nothing had a few runs in the eighth inning. And you know, it's something that I don't think you would have seen from the Yankees earlier in the season, but unfortunately with the Yankees Monday also reminded you why I have often said the Yankees are a two step forward, three steps, steps back team. Whenever the Yankees seem to have some moment where you feel good, there's always one day that either reminds you why they're in third place or why I haven't really been too optimistic about this team to begin with. And that is because they had a big loss to the Orioles, which I will be getting to very soon. We have our guest Brady Reuter backstage. He will be coming on to talk about not just this series that is going on right now with the Yankees against the Baltimore Orioles, but Obviously, his team's rebuilding process as it is going on right now. So, but the big the big news that happened after the Monday night game was Garrett Cole not only is on the IL due to COVID, but so is Jordan Montgomery. And the Yankees pitching depth is pretty much being tested. And 
it's being tested at the worst possible time. But with that having been said, I think it's time to talk about this series against the Baltimore Orioles. And who better to talk about the Baltimore Orioles with with a returning guest who I had all the way back in May. A lot's changed since then, but we got Brady Reuter. Brady, how's it going? Hey, doing awesome. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, despite an up and down season from the Yankees. But obviously, we got a lot to talk about with regards to the Orioles. And, you know, I think the first thing we got to talk about is the Monday night game, which I actually went to, by the way. I was hoping to see something really good in Anthony Rizzo's debut, but unfortunately, we know that was not meant to be. Jorge Lopez actually pitched pretty well that day. Well, okay, I wouldn't say he dominated, but he didn't give up a hit until the sixth inning. He was very hit or miss. He walked a lot of guys. It wasn't one of those games where you really felt a no-hitter because of his wildness. But at the end of the day, the Yankees could not cash in on any on runners in scoring position opportunities. In fact, they went 0 for 10 with runners in scoring position. What were your thoughts on his pitching, first of all? Right. Well, you kind of touched on it, Hank. So it wasn't like that John Means no-hitter didn't have the same kind of feel to it. Right. Uh, however, um, Jorge Lopez and our favorite uh, former New York Met, Matt Harvey, they both have been very solid the last three or four starts. Basically, since the All-Star break, they've come on pretty strong. Um, yeah, Lopez, he, he finished six innings, only gave up one hit, but had five walks. So it was a little wild, but he also got into a bit of a jam in the fifth inning. Um I can't remember who the batter was, but I believe it was Austin Hayes was playing left field and actually made a great catch. Um, it was first and third, and then Austin Hayes made a great catch to basically keep it as a sacrifice fight, only one run allowed. Um, and that was really the most difficult spot Lopez was in. And other than that, he pretty much had a really solid day. Yeah, that was one of the turning points. I think the other one was you had DJ Mayhew hitting into a double play in the seventh inning. That was really the Yankees' last shot at making it a game because I think even though the Orioles were up 7-1, to they're not a team where I feel like you think any lead is really safe. And with the improved Yankee lineup, I think, I think if DJ gets that hit, maybe the Yankees have a chance of probably coming back. But that double play was really a killer, especially because, as I said, you, you were down by like six runs at that point. They they really needed a little boost, a little bit of momentum, but that, that was pretty much it. But the other big thing that happened was Andrew Heaney, another Yankees trade acquisition, made his debut. Coming into this game, he had an ERA of 5.47, which is disgusting, not great. And, something. And you know, low-key, I was hoping that a change of scenery for him in New York would help him. But then again, I really should have known better because if you look at the track record of Yankee pitchers over the years, a lot of them are either ruined when they come to New York, and there are also some that really don't quite develop. And Andrew Heaney really wasn't different from a lot of the other pitchers that have failed thus far. It's only one game. I don't really want to get into too much, bring up, put up too much stock into him. But as I said, he wasn't good. He gave up four solo home runs. Now, granted, a solo home run isn't as bad as like a two home, two run home run or a grand slam or three run, but not good. That being said, one of the guys who hit that home, the, the guy with the first home run was not a surprise. That was none other than Cedric Mullins, who, let's, fa- let's be honest, I think he's really established himself as a star so far in baseball. I think if he were playing for any other team, he would get a lot of recognition. And it really says something that he didn't get a lot of votes in the All-Star game that really took a trout injury for him to get started. But let's talk about the impact of Cedric, Cedric Mullins and how much he's really meant to Baltimore as of now. 
Yes, sir, Hank. You really hit the nail on the head. Uh, Mullins has been the leader of this clubhouse. Him and Trey Mancini both, but Mullins especially um, with the, the one-year contract he's on where he's just making a little bit above the league minimum salary. He's been killing it. Um, yeah, it was definitely a push for him to get into the All-Star game. I know, especially on social media, the Orioles' uh, Twitter team has really been big with it. Um, I would know I voted for him, but it was definitely kind of sad to see when I play like Mike Trout, who had played maybe a third of the games up to that point, was already leading, and it really took a lot of extraneous circumstances for Mullins to even get into the starting lineup. But thank God he did. Uh, he, he definitely deserved it. It wasn't like the, you know – commentatory Orioles pick the one guy that just because it's baseball and they need one player. No, he earned his way on there. He, he will get a big payday this offseason. I guarantee it. Oh yeah, for sure. So that home run that he hit in this game was his 18th on the season. He now has 37 RBIs. His batting average is 323. He's not an all, he's not an all-star by accident. Let's put it that way. And now the other home runs that were hit, I believe Urias hit the one that made it four nothing. That was the one that pretty much – I think that was another thing that really broke the straw. That was the straw that broke the camel's back because Heaney got removed not long after. He almost gave up a home run to, to – I believe it was uh, Pedro Severino. He hit it deep into center field. An inch or two further would have gone over the center field fence and probably landed in Monument Park, but it pretty much summed up what was really an awful night for the Yankees. Yeah, it seemed like as soon as Severino hit that ball, the fans just – I mean, you were there, Hank, but it seemed like to me on TV, the fans were about ready to throw a ride. They were just done with him at that point. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think, and what I forgot to mention, Austin Hayes hit the second home run. That was a back-to-back job that him and Mullins had. And you also had Ryan Mountcastle hitting a home run. So, yeah, really not a great game. Big story of that game, obviously, was the cat running onto the field, which... I know you probably won't agree with me about this, but I really think from being there, I think the cat was really more entertaining than the game itself. Cause of course I'm going to say that when the Yankees get blown up, that's just my, me being biased. Hey, I mean, whatever keeps the crowd entertained, you know, as long as they're <laughs> not uh, throwing baseballs or dare I say cats at opposing outfielders in the outfield, you know, like uh poor old Alex Verdugo a little while ago. Yeah, no, I, I hate hearing about that stuff. It it give, it makes our fan base look bad, and it's, it's yeah. just, I don't know. You go to a game to have fun. It's a privilege. Don't throw stuff on the field. Just have fun. If you want to heckle a guy, like, I'm totally fine with that, as long as it's, like, not going too far is what I'm saying. But throwing stuff on the field, no. That's where I draw the line. And yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking about a couple of years ago when the Orioles played the Blue Jays. And Hyunsoo Kim was making a – it was actually in the wild card game in Toronto. And our left fielder, Hyunsoo Kim at the time, caught a fly ball. And then some fan threw a beer. And then I believe he was banned for life for all major league stadiums. So it's just not worth it. Like, what's – you know, yeah, you might have said that your player gets an out. Your player grounds out or flies out. Why you got to throw something at a player, you know, the other team just to basically kick you out of all baseball stadiums the rest of your life? It's not, it's just not worth it, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. And – um Tom actually has a question predictions for Tyon tonight. Um, here's the thing about Jamison Tyon. I think he's going to probably go – I before tonight's game, I had him going five or six innings, maybe giving up three runs. Unfortunately, right now, that prediction isn't really looking good. The Yankees, as we speak, are currently in the top of the first inning. Bal- they haven't gotten a bat yet, but Baltimore is already up 2 nothing. Ryan Mountcastle hit a sacrifice fly, and Austin Hayes drove in Urias with an RBI single. So – I don't know. Hopefully the Yankees come back, but 
We'll see what happens. Depending on the way the offense is, I don't really trust them. And then Connor Pat Connor Walsh says, y'all giving Javi love. Look, I think, as I mentioned earlier, I think Javi Baez was a great acquisition by the New York Mets. Sorry if I'm going into a little bit of a tangent, by the way, but he provides some infield depth, which is really going to help once Lindor comes back. And, you know, he's a good bat to have in that lineup. Unfortunately, what I forgot to mention earlier was he did end up getting hurt in one of the games, but looks like he's going to be fine. The Mets didn't end up putting him on the DL, but I really think that was a solid acquisition the Mets made. Yeah, I mean, with Lindor, he got the big contract, but he's been uh, struggling on the field and then at the plate and then been injured, like you said. So having someone like Javier Baez, who won a World Series with, you know, the Chicago Cubs many years ago, when that dynasty broke up, he's there filling in a role in the meantime. You know, some people, I think, probably – get rubbed off wrong way with Javi. Um, but he definitely brings a lot of excitement and a lot of energy to the ballpark. Just watching that uh, walk-off game against, I believe it was the Reds a couple of weeks ago, he hit that fly ball into center field, and he just sat there and stared at it for like five minutes and just got super excited. So that that does add a lot of energy. And I think the Mets, especially with the Phillies not far behind, they need just a spark, something to kind of rejuvenate their clubhouse and get them going and trending upward to basically distance themselves because it's a pretty tight race right now in the NL East. So they're going to want some things, any sort of ground, in order to maintain where they want to be. Oh, for sure. And uh, the last thing I want to say about Monday night's game before I move on. So Brandon Hyde at the end of the game, he said that it was the most complete team win for the Baltimore Orioles. I would imagine that you probably agree with this statement. Yeah, Hank, I, I probably would. Um, so as a whole, the, the Orioles have been a competitive team when it comes to getting guys on and getting guys in, but the pitching has really been the biggest downfall, especially in the bullpen. And if you actually look at the uh, total run totals in Major League Baseball, as of before tonight's game, the Orioles actually have scored one more run overall than the Yankees. Um, the biggest letdown has been our pitching, especially in our bullpen. But um, as we mentioned before, Jorge Lopez was really solid and went six innings. Uh, bullpen was good. Um, and base, base running, especially um, getting guys first to third, it was aggressive and it was solid. Mount, Brian Mountcastle, who's not known for his speed, he made some solid uh, base running um, efforts that night, and that was good to see. And then we had some good defense from Michael Franco at third base, and like I already said, Austin Hayes in left field. So if we get more outings like that, um, the Orioles are going to be a competitive team. Maybe not a playoff team, but if they can play like that consistently – then they're going to be a competitive team in the, in the A at least. And that's all you really ask for, especially as a team that's rebuilding and trying to look toward to see what our, our piece is going to be in the future and how we're going to shape up down the road. Before I get to my next question, let me acknowledge Tom's comment. He, I'm assuming he's talking about Javi, Javier Baez, but he said he's too big of a personality for me, but good acquisition talent-wise. Yeah, I, could, I totally can see that. I totally understand where Tom's coming from. But anyways, let's backtrack a little bit because when last we spoke, the Orioles – were on 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 their way to playing a series with the Yankees. The Yankees ended up winning two out of three. They lost the third game, but little did we know that that would be the last win that the Orioles would have in the month of May. If you told me that, I would I would have been like, what? But as it turns out, they not only lost the remainder of their games in May, but they had a rough stretch in mid June. I think they actually had an eight a losing streak that went as high as eight or ten games. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it was fourteen actually. Yeah, it was really rough. Oh gosh, more than that. I I knew it was pretty bad. I just wasn't sure about the number, but I yeah. I could have sworn it was at least 8 to 10, but wow. But anyways, 
I think a lot of a lot of stuff's happened. What do you think were some of the main factors that really led to their slide in June? Yeah, it was uh, like you said, Hank. It was definitely tough. Um, they had some games where they were leading either early or in the middle or later in the game. But like I already mentioned, our ERA is the worst in baseball at five point four seven. Um, and in the back end of our bullpen, between uh, whoever we try to throw out as a closer, either Cesar Valdez, Cole Sulcer, Dylan Tate, or Tanner Scott, it seems like no one's really been able to solidify the role as a closer. Tanner Scott especially has been very wild. And even just last weekend, the Orioles beat Detroit. Um, two, they split with a four-game series, but he was very wild in a couple of those games. Um, and some of those games, right, uh, yeah, they maybe just got outmatched, got beat by better teams, but there were plenty of games where they were right there and just – like the game on Memorial Day, May 31st, they're right there with the Twins and went into extras and just lost an extra inning game. So they had a plenty of those kind of games where they were just couldn't get the break they needed and they just ended up on the wrong end of it. Yeah, for sure. And I think one of the other things that really hurt afterwards, if I remember correctly, they also had a long road game, road losing streak too, right? And the last road game that they had won in that stretch was the no-hitter of John Means, which I – in my eyes, that was a perfect game because I think he, even the one guy that got on base ended up getting a race not long afterwards. But he got 27 up, 27 down. Definitely one of the best games pitched in our lifetime. And unfortunately, his luck kind of took a rough turn. He ended up getting hurt and he actually didn't win a game after that no-hitter until July 31st. And we all know that was because he missed some time due to his injury. And what's your level of concern with regards to him? And didn't Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you you I saw on your Instagram you actually went to one of his one of his rehab starts. Now, yeah, so it was actually July 4th in Aberdeen, Maryland, um, home of the Aberdeen Ironbirds at uh, Cal Ripken Stadium. Um, it's the high single A team for the Orioles. It's about an hour or so from my home area, but yeah, John Means pitched two innings. He struck out two and gave, he gave up a home run, uh, but it was a rehab assignment. It was just to kind of get him back into the field of things. So it, it was a good game. Um, the Ironbirds play well. They won. But uh, with John Means, right, uh, the first couple of games back were a little shaky, mainly the the first game back that was televised on YouTube. Uh, it was against Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Rays on July 20th. Um, he did make some more progress. His next outing was actually uh, Sunday, July 25th, against the Washington Nationals, where he was pitching really solid. And then with 2007th inning, he got into a jam and gave up a throw-in homer to Ryan Zimmerman. So if not for that, it would have been a really solid game. Um, O's came back and won that game, which was awesome in the bottom of the ninth. But And then the following game he pitched was uh, last Saturday on July 31st against Detroit. He went six innings and only gave up one run. So he's looking like he was you know, coming back to himself now. So he's actually on the mound tonight, so I'll be excited to see how he does. Um, and as long as he can stay healthy and just continue to slowly you know, be consistent and make progress, I'm not really concerned with him because um, I know going into 2020 um, or going, I should say, going to the end of 2020, he struggled really down the stretch, but started to pick it up. So as long as he can stay healthy, I think he'll definitely have a very solid offseason and look to be the starting guy going into 2021 for the near future. 2022, excuse me. Yeah, no, I hope I hope he uh, bounces back soon. It's been as we touched on in, our, in the last episode that we did together, it's really been a while since you've had a legit ace. Definitely, I would have to say since Mike Messina. But in any event, glad to see he's doing well. So far, it's still 2 nothing. bottom of the first inning. I think Matt Harvey's actually starting this game for the Orioles. Oh, yeah, actually, you're right. The dark night, he's coming back to New York. You're right. Of course, it's 
and knowing the Yankees were probably going to struggle with him because that's their luck. But um, anyways, we've got a few more comments. My mom says hello. And um, Connor again says, again, I'm assuming he's talking about Javi Baez. He's a reason to watch baseball, love the competitiveness, and he's a former MVP candidate. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree with that completely. And um, so let's also talk about that national series. You must have been pretty ecstatic about sweeping them. I don't know what your opinion is on the nationals, but that's a pretty big rivalry. I know Baltimore and D.C. Oh, yeah, it's the Beltway Series. Every year, the O's Nationals, at least, no matter who uh, the Orioles are playing in the interleague matchups, they always will match up with them pretty much, I think, since Washington came to Baltimore in the mid-2000s. So the first time they played in Washington, uh, the Orioles were swept, and that was one of the games where Ryan Mountcastle hit a grand slam in the first inning, and then we gave up a grand slam to Ryan Zimmerman. That was was in the middle of their 14-game losing streak, right? But this was good. This – this weekend over in Baltimore, they always had a good crowd. And I believe Saturday, that Saturday game, um, a couple of Saturdays ago, that uh, home crowd, that was the largest home crowd since, I think, 2019. They had over 31,000 fans. Um, and that was a solid win. And then Sunday's game was exciting. That was where they came from behind. And in the ninth inning, they walked it off. It was when they came back. And then Ramon Arias hit the ground ball to third base. And Ryan McKenna, who hit his first career home run that day, he's a utility guy. One of a role player, he's known for his defense and his speed. He slid home and scored the game winning run, and I was I was excited. I was pumped up. So it's definitely good, you know, as a Baltimore um, Nate being born in Baltimore and always being a Baltimore fan. It's always nice when we beat up Washington because you know they won the World Series a couple years ago. The Orioles has been almost forty years for us, so uh, we, we've kind of had a less amount of success in a while considering the age of our how long we've been around, but. Um, you know, it's definitely fun when we play each other. I think it's always been really competitive for many years. And it seems like no matter how good or bad each team is, the series are always very tight. It kind of reminds me of Ravens-Steelers. If you look at the NFL, where both teams, no matter the, their records or how their seasons are going, they're always competitive and they always seem to find a way to split a game each year. I don't know if I'd compare it to Ravens-Steelers necessarily, but it does remind me a bit of Yankees-Mets because, you know, Obviously, regardless of the records, more often than not, at least 80 to 90% of the years, whenever the Yankees play the Mets for a Subway Series, it often ends in like a 2-2 or a 3-3 split. You know, you know, it nobody really dominates the series. Obviously, there's a few exceptions, but I think it really makes sense. I feel like it's probably the same way in the Bay Area with the Giants and the A's, and then Southern California, you got the Dodgers and the Angels, and then obviously in Chicago, the Cubs and the White Sox. But that's neither here nor there. That was a pretty big win, and I think the real significance of that series was obviously you guys pretty much broke the Nationals, let's face it, because after after the Sunday game, I guess Mike Rizzo, the GM, thought, oh, well, let's just we're going to have to blow it up. Let's trade Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. And, you know, I think they got a decent haul considering, like I mentioned earlier in the show, they got one of the top catching prospects in leagues and they got other pitcher, Josiah Gray, who, fun fact, for those of you New Yorkers who are watching, Josiah Gray is actually someone who I saw pitch against Horace Greeley back when I was in high school. He's a New Rochelle native. I don't know. I don't remember what year he graduated from New Rochelle High School, but it's pretty cool to see someone who, to me, is local doing pretty well in the minors and even getting a little taste of Major League Baseball. So, on a personal note, I had to mention that. But in any event, I, I really think that that series definitely broke the Washington Nationals. And obviously, it made the L.A. Dodgers stronger, too. But that's a tangent for another day. I think the Dodgers, without a doubt, it's the not just the National League West. I think the National League as a whole might be theirs to lose. But 
Anyways, let's get back to the Orioles. Another guy I want to talk about is Trey Mancini. Now, obviously, we know the best player on the Orioles. I, I don't know if you – I'm sure you probably agree with this. I think it's Cedric Mullins, but Trey Mancini's story has been absolutely inspirational. Great to see him come back after all he went through about a year ago. And, you know, to see him come pretty close to winning the home run derby, it definitely had to have given the city of Baltimore something to really cheer about and get excited over. Oh, yeah, it was awesome. Um, I was fortunate enough. I thought I had to be away for work, but I was able to catch the game or the All-Star, uh, the Home Run Derby, rather. Yeah, it was really fun. Um, I know Trey, like, listen to his post-game interviews. He, he was pretty nervous at the beginning. Mm-hmm. He watched the first round. Um, he only hit a couple home runs, and then he was uh, hitting a lot of line drives. So we had to take that time out and then just get a drink of water and then reevaluate. But then that's when he went on a roll and really started hitting bomb. And it was also cool to see him keep his approach. He had a lot of once a dead center in Colorado and the right field too, like way up there by the Ivy and dead center field and then going to right field. Um, yeah. He really, I think won the hearts of a lot of people, especially, um, you know, being a uh, person who recovered from stage three colon cancer and, and really given a lot of people hope, especially people who are struggling with, with cancer and their families and their lives right. themselves. Um yeah, I mean, Cini has been definitely a solid power hitter, but all around very clutch. Uh, for a little while, you know, think back when I came on with you, Hank, he was probably up there in the one of the leads in baseball and RBIs. Now, he's not really uh, in the top of the right now, um, but he's definitely doing solid, solidly. Um, and he's coming off that 2019 season, of course, where um, he hit 35 home runs, drove 97. So he's probably going to hit, I can see him hitting around 25, 30 this year. I believe he's already at 18 right now. Um, and he, he's under contract at just a one year deal. We signed with him. Um, he's going to be going into his age 30 season next year. So he's getting up there in age, uh, but it enters arbitration, uh, year three next year. So I'll be disappointed if the Orioles don't bring him back and don't keep him around for the near future. I really want them to keep him as, uh, you know, maybe not the centerpiece. I think Cedric Mullins will be the centerpiece, but I think Trey Mancini should definitely be the guy that's also there as, more like the veteran leader that um, kind of is the guy that the young people can come up and see, you know, how a veteran and uh, carries himself in the clubhouse and how he plays every day. He's a very professional, you know, hitter and baseball player and an all around human being. And I think he really gives a lot of people, especially in the city of Baltimore, uh, a lot of life and a lot of excitement. Yeah, definitely. And if the Orioles, like depending on how long it really takes for them to finally field a competitive team, and if he's still there, I think, I think he would definitely be the captain and probably the the main leader on that team that can really be like the seasoned veteran, like that a lot of people rely on. So yeah, I think it'd be really interesting to see what they do about him. I mean, it's tough though, because you don't, as much as you'd love to see him back, the one thing you want to avoid is a really bad contract a la Chris Davis. Absolutely. But yeah, no, I think he definitely would be someone that's great to have. I I like his mindset, and he's really someone that, even as a division rival, I can't help but like root for him and want him to do well and like appreciate like his story and how great it was and how much he's really like make bringing life to a struggling team. If if that makes sense. Oh yeah, um, you know, of course, the Orioles being where they're at, he's probably one of the most famous players on the team, um, you know, one, if not baseball, he's, honestly, if he was on any other team, like the Yankees, the the Dodgers, the Padres, you know, the White Sox, the Phillies, the Mets, he'd be a 
starting first baseman or DH on any of those teams, right? So, yeah, he, he adds a lot of uh, important characteristics. Any Anybody would want him. So, really, you know, we're really glad, we're really lucky in the city of Baltimore. We got a player like him uh, who's just steady on the course and is just solid and continuously um, shows, you know, a lot of the young guys just how, how to carry himself, how to be a good human being, be a good man. Yeah, definitely. And hey, if the Orioles for some reason can't keep him around, I I really hope for his sake he he plays for a contender because I think he definitely deserves to have a lot of success in his career. But uh, anyways, another guy that we were talking about that I know you really like was uh, Ramon Urias. And as I mentioned, he hit the fourth home run in that Monday night bombshell against uh, Andrew Heaney. Tell tell me about his hitting with runners in scoring position. Do you think he's going to be in the lineup for the foreseeable future? Yeah, so he's been uh, pretty clutch the last couple of months. Um, he wasn't the everyday starting infielder. Um, he's kind of switched between second base and shortstop. It's been kind of a platoon between guys like Stevie Wilkerson, Pat Valeka, Domingo Leyva, Ramon Arias, Freddie Galvis. They just traded way back to the Phillies, his old original team. Um, but Arias has been he's been pretty clutch. Uh, so I'm, I'm definitely excited for him. He's batting around 280 or so. And driven in, I think, at least 20 runs. Um, he's got some power, too. And he was he was actually one of the young guys I touched on in their original meeting, Hank, um, when I was talking to you back in May. So Right, I remember that. To see if he's going to continuously, you know, hit the way he is. And he's a young guy, so, you know, he's not making a lot of money right now. Um, so that's the thing, right? we got these young guys who are just coming into their own. Well, then that's the time we got to make the most of our time because – you know, as much as I hate to say it, like it's great that they make money when they get paid a lot of money. You know, not necessarily saying he's going to be that, but what if what if he becomes next Manny Machado? You know, he could be great, but uh, we got to make sure we use our contracts wisely because we get in our Chris Davis, so we don't want that, right? Yeah, no, I I don't want him to become Bob Benia two point or Chris Davis that is, but yeah, no, I. So, what are your overall expectations for the Orioles going? excuse me, going into the next few months of the season remaining. Can't believe we're all, we're already in August by now. Yeah. It's, it's almost, see, this is the time of year, especially in Baltimore football season is on everyone's mind now because let's face it, the Orioles are not going to probably finish the 20 games over or under 500. They're going to be looking at another uh, pretty rough year. Um, honestly, if the Orioles can finish above 62 and a half wins, which is where Vegas had us at uh, at the beginning of the season, I'd be very very surprised, but also pretty, pretty happy. Uh, it's going to be a push because they're right now they're 30 games under um, with uh, not a whole lot left. Um, so it's going to take them playing right around 500 ball with better than 500 baseball in order to avoid hundred losses and get to 63 wins. Um, but that'd be, that'd be a good year. As long as we have a good group of guys who are in well, and then we got time for Adley Rutschman, who I believe I actually predicted make it caught up this year. At this point, I'm I'm leaning towards let's leave in the minor leagues until next year, especially when he's he's a catching and working with some of our young arms like DL Hall and Grayson Rodriguez. Considering pitching is our biggest need probably right now, let's keep Adley down there with those guys and let them come up next year when they get you know another full off season with spring training in between because they were kind of set back with 2020 being a, basically a lost year for a lot of these guys. So let's just keep them down in the minors until they're ready to go. I think. Next year, there'll be at least Adley we call, be called up. Probably he'll make the team out of spring training, I'm going to predict. I can see that. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he gets called up in September just so he get could get that, like, taste of the big leagues. But, 
yeah, I think what you're saying makes sense. You kind of want to let him get more playing time, let him season the arms of some of their young pitchers. So, I mean, who knows? All I know is this is a guy who's, I know, not just the Orioles, but Major League Baseball ranks really high on, like, the prospect depth chart or food chain or whatever you want to call it. So this is a guy you really do not want to mess with. So I think the more I really think about it, I could probably – I think your your explanation of wanting to let him give it a try in spring training really makes sense. And definitely best of luck to him and best of luck to the Orioles going forward. But before we end this discussion, I think we need to talk about the rest of the AL East because – when you look at the top four teams, it's really bunched up. The Yankees and the Blue Jays are right in the mix still. And obviously you have Tampa and Boston being neck and neck for first place. And based off of the trading deadline, I have to ask, who do you really think is the favorite to win that division? Yeah, I mean, Hank, you kind of said it. it's a it's a four-team race, but I really probably go between Boston and Tampa Bay. I mean, Tampa Bay, of course, won the American League last year. So, you know, they're going to be a threat. And then Boston – um, also has a great offense, and they've been probably a lot better than I think everyone expected. Um, I do think Tampa is a slight favorite. I mean, I do really love that Nelson Cruz uh, acquisition they made. Of course, former Oriole had a great season with Baltimore, but even at his age, he's still hitting like crazy. Um, Boston did get uh, some some good moves, and they got right-hander uh, Hansel Robles and left-hander uh, Austin Davis, as well as getting uh, Kyle Schwarber from the Nationals, one of the other Nationals pieces they traded away. Uh, so that will be fun to watch down the stretch. I think Tampa, I'll give the edge, slight edge to Tampa based off of their, uh, their track record of having a little bit better pitching. Um, and then between uh, your Yankees, uh, your Yankees, Hank, and then <laughs> <laughs> your Yankees, yeah. Uh, your guys, Hank. I've been and called Detroit, that before. So, okay. um, I think, you know, those teams, they're, they're in the mix. Uh, it's just they have a bit of an outside shot because they have some games to make up. Um, with New York, I mean, you kind of touched on already, but – Mine are, it's just the guys that are able to get on base without having to rely on the home run ball, a la Joey Gallo, uh, you know, Aaron Judge, Gary Sanchez, John Carlos Stanton. Like guys guys like Trey Turner, who quite honestly I think would have made the Yankees a little bit more well-rounded as a lineup. Uh, I just think they're too much reliant on the three true outcomes, you know, the strikeout, the home run, the walk. I think they need guys that have a little bit better on base percentage like Trey Turner can kind of do it all. Um with Toronto, they actually have the top one of the top five uh, offenses in baseball and runs scored, and one of the best uh, overall offenses. Um, I do like some of the moves they made, acquiring Jose Barrios from from the Minnesota Twins and Joaquin Soria from the Arizona Diamondbacks. Because uh, pitching uh, with the Yankees and Blue Jays, I think is going to have to improve. They want to catch Boston or Tampa, so it should be fun down the stretch. You know, as an Orioles fan, without a team with a dog in the fight, I'll just sit back and hopefully we can play spoiler, maybe. Maybe somehow knock everybody out just for the fun of it, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's been me with the Giants in like the past four to five years during football season. Hopefully not this year, but that's a tangent and subject for another day. Maybe Big Blue Avenue. But anyways, um, yeah, no, I, I really agree with that. A lot of what you said. I think like I've been mentioning many times on this show and even when I've talked to other people outside, I think the Yankees – as much as I like the way their lineup improved, the problem was I would have much preferred, say, an Adam Frazier or even a Whit Merrifield would have really helped their lineup too. I, I like him. He's a good contact hitter. He's, he's really fast too. So I think he probably would, would have driven in a lot of runs as well. And like, and like I said, Joe Gallo, too much strikeouts, too low batting average. It's really 
not really my ideal batting lineup. And if you look at the Yankees over the past few years, they've lived and died by the home run. You look, look where that's got them. So I, as much as I want to put the Yankees in the wild cards, like scenario, I I'm just not a hundred percent sure. Toronto, I think, really is a legit threat. I think Jose Barros instantly improves that pitching staff. You already got Hunjin Ryu, who's pretty solid, and then you and then you get Robbie Ray, who's kind of hit or miss, but when he's on, he's on. And if if you have all of them clicking, then the blue the Blue Jays, watch out for them. The only thing is, I think they might be behind too much with like for the division for them to really win the division. But I can easily see Toronto being a wild card team for sure. So. And if they get into that wild card game, watch out because they have a good amount of starters now that can really help them. So Blue Jays, I would not sleep on them at all. But when it comes down to Boston and Tampa Bay, I kind of said this last week when I was on um when I was on the Alec Walt show down the block sports. I think Tampa, based on reputation, would be the easy choice to pick for that division. But I also would not be shocked with Boston because if you look on paper, the Red Sox have a really good lineup that that also got better with the addition of Kyle Schwarber. And he's got that Fenway swing where he can park home runs probably over the monster and onto that short right field fence. So I could see him making a big impact and they're pitching. If Chris sale comes back as scheduled, it could, they could potentially be a really dangerous team. And, you know, the Red Sox, I'm not as surprised as most people that they're really fighting so hard in the mix for the division because Look, last year, we all know what happened. They were bad. They they were pretty high in the draft, one of their worst seasons in a long time. But another thing to consider is it was a 60-game season. When you really look at everything with the Red Sox, you knew their lineup was going to be a factor. It, it was just a matter of their pitching just couldn't get much worse than it was last year. So I figured they probably would have an outside shot at them being a threat. I, I just didn't think they'd be this good this early, like during their rebuild. But it goes to show you that Heim Bloom with his Tampa Bay experience can really pull off a heister too. And he's a really smart GM and he's really done a good job building that, that Red Sox team. So if based on, like I said, I would probably give Boston based on what they have on paper, but I'm not going to rule out Tampa. I think Tampa probably based off their track record, it's going to be them. But before I end the show, I just want to say Brady, thanks again for coming on talking some baseball and talking some Baltimore Orioles. I, th- I think you definitely give some great insight onto a team that obviously has been overlooked, but I think one that, you know, if they make all the right moves, they could really be a factor down the stretch, maybe in the next two to three years. Who knows? Hank, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, I'd love to talk to you again sometime. Maybe in the come October, we can uh, reflect on how everything has ended up in the AL East and then seeing where uh, October will take us with the playoffs. Yeah, hopefully we can do that. And hey, maybe after baseball season ends, I'll probably have to bring you on if I want to do a little baseball shorts video once I expand this channel. I think that would definitely be a lot of fun. But anyways, before I sign off, I just want to give you guys a reminder again, a few things. First of all, obviously, don't forget to give us a follow on all of our forms of social media. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And give us a subscribe to our YouTube channel. I also want to let you guys know Next week in the following week, hitting for the cycle, I will be taking a little two-month hiatus. However, I will be back on August 26th, back at Thursday in the normal spot. Just a little break for the show, but once again, I appreciate you guys for tuning in. You have watched another episode of Hitting for the Cycle. I'm your host, Hank and Dichter, and I will see you guys in the near future. So long, everybody.